Welcome to episode 46 of the series about security podcasts for July 2nd, 2013. Brought to you by the Center for Education and Research in Information Assurance and Security, or Sirius, at Purdue University. I'm Preston Wiley, and we're joined by Keith Watson only this week, like is uh, out for the week. And uh, today we're going to switch gears a little bit. And uh, we've, we've talked about the NSA and their uh, attempts to spy on pretty much everybody in the world. And uh, we're going to talk about tools to help to protect yourself against uh, the attempts to spy on you from the NSA and from ISPs and, and, other, and other organizations that want to look at your traffic. And so we're going to talk about a bunch of tools uh, to help with that. And probably the first thing we should talk about before we talk about tools is that uh, any tool that we talk about certainly could be compromised by the NSA and others, and we we don't know in a lot of cases. And so their best approach is to uh, keep abreast of news going on. Uh, hopefully, that some of these services are vetted by others, and that we can hopefully trust something. But uh, you never know. There could be uh, people inside these organizations planting or changing code or something like that that would reveal your communications. So there's always a trust factor here with anything we talk about. But we'll talk about a few that are relatively well known and trusted, and hopefully um, using those tools will help you. But there's no guarantee here, so we won't state that up front. And I've got one more caveat. Yes. Um, it was essentially, I guess, revealed that. Uh, the NSA will essentially keep any sort of chat or sort of encrypted communication that they can't uh, decrypt, and they don't. Well, know, yeah, they don't know its origin. Yeah, in the future they may be able to. Decrypt and they, and they so. will. They will keep it, and they will hold on to it supposedly perpetually until variable until some point that they get a big enough supercomputer. Yeah, until I can let stuff. Until any weaknesses in the determine is not anything that they're interested in. I yes, guess. I think that's the one exception to the, the the retention time that they had in the law that said they couldn't keep communications for more than five years or something like that. Right, so, and and the first tool we're going to talk about is probably I don't know maybe one of their one of the most probably the biggest thorn in their side maybe it's Tor. Yes. Um, I'm sure most people listening have heard of Tor, um, but it's a, a basically, I guess they call it a more of an anonymizing uh, yes. sy system. It, it, it uh, is commonly used for secure web browsing. Or, or anonymous. Uh, I should say anonymous. Anonymous slash secure web browsing. Um, it, it has a, essentially a modified version of Firefox mobile. You download the, the browser. Um, yep. Yeah. And that and, and they can be used to anonymize pretty much any IP traffic, and it works by wrapping each packet in a layer and sending it on to another router within the Tor network, which then uh, unwraps a certain part of that, which has details of where to send it to the next part of the Tor network, and so it bounces around a bunch of servers and then eventually ends up on the regular internet through what's called an exit node. The idea being that you can't do traffic analysis if you don't know where the packets are going to go. However, there are some flaws to this. There's certainly you can monitor the exit nodes and track the packets and the data coming off those exit nodes and maybe track it back to the original person.
person. So you have to be careful, even though if you're using the Tor network, but you're logging in to your Google account, Google's still going to know about you, even though you're using Tor. So don't be fooled by how well this works. I mean, if you're using authenticated services, somebody along the line is going to know who you are, and at least what exit node you came from. Possibly more than that if your web browser reveals more data. So it, it's not a foolproof system. Uh, for web browsing, it's a little questionable, its usefulness, but uh, other IP services, it might be more useful for anonymizing your traffic. Yeah. But you have to trust certain parts of the network, and specifically the exit nodes. And there are some rogue exit nodes, and the t people managing Tor uh, disable those as they find them. But that, again, you got to watch out for them. And I'd say you also want to be careful about making yourself an exit node, potentially. Yeah, there's some risks in that as well. Yes, there's certain, because it's, it's, because it's such a fairly good anonymizing system, it is used for activities that well you know it's like any illegal. it's like good like any good yeah. tool you know that could be used for good or evil although I think personally this is a tool that can be used for a lot of good and, uh, and most likely it's probably used mostly for that there are some tools that run on top of the Tor network using a variety of clients you can do um, anonymized chat sessions uh, using that you can go over IRC and connect to uh, IRC networks Again, if you're an authenticated user, though, again, it's not really going to help you. People still know who you are, maybe just not where you're coming from. You can uh, use it for uh, a variety of other services. And there are uh, various clients built that use the Tor network directly, or you can use it through a proxy service on your local machine when you have the Tor network activated. So one of the things we talked about briefly on Android is a service called Torbot. And it is basically integrating Tor into an Android app. And you can connect to the Tor network. And then you can run uh, a variety of other services over that. If you have rooted your device, then you can change the, the proxy on the device. And the, so any traffic that, the, uh, that your Android sends out would be over the Tor network. And so that's one uh, pretty useful thing that you can do with Tor. Um, there, as Preston mentioned, you can download a Firefox version that has Tor integrated into it. And so any browsing you do with that particular browser uses the Tor network to connect. It is very slow. Tor is very slow. Tor can be very slow, yes, depending on the number of nodes you're working through and the bandwidth utilization of those. Yes, it can be But that, that is because of the way it works. And because of the way it works, absolutely. We shouldn't expect. Extreme yeah, speeds. On yeah, don't use Tor for high performance networking groups, or maybe even big downloads. It will take a while. I don't think that. we'll ever be doing a Google Hangout over Tor. No, probably, <laughs> probably not. Probably a lot of lag and, and delay and buffering involved in that. So. Yeah, I imagine it would not work well. So Tor is interesting. There was an article which we'll have to link to um, that pointed out that the. NSA takes a greater interest in you if you're using Tor. Whether you're using it for good or evil, uh, they just show greater interest in you then after that. So something else to keep in mind as well. Okay, well, uh, the next thing we're going to talk about is VPN services. And this is kind of, I guess, one step down probably from Tor as far as privacy. Well, it, it, it adds yeah. privacy, but it takes out the anonymous uh, nature of right. Tor, let's say. So, um, yeah, VPN services will essentially allow you to 
I guess, bypass your bypass your ISP or whatever you're connecting and, and connect to some other service which is encrypted between you and whoever you're connecting to. Yeah, no, traditionally so. we used VPN services to connect to internal networks like on a corporate network or even here at Purdue we have a VPN so if you're outside of the Purdue network but you want to access internal Purdue services you would connect to the VPN and then it was essentially like you're connected to the Purdue network. Any traffic between the VPN server on one end and your client on the other end is encrypted and you get assigned an IP within the Purdue network, for example. And that's similar to how these VPN services work. They're subscription-based. You run a client or you use your own built-in operating system VPN services to connect to this VPN service. And then you, in the case of, uh, we're talking about the private internet access company, you get to pick your exit node on the other side, the VPN server basically that you're connecting to, whether that be in the US or in another country. So if you needed to connect to something that only allowed access from within a certain country, you could use this to do that. Yes, you could. I mean, it has, they have exit nodes in the UK, Switzerland, and Germany, and places like that. So, and, and, and some VPN services do, I mean, you're not going to get as the anonymity, anonymity that Tor gets you, but they do somewhat focus on anonymity as well in that private internet access, for example, doesn't keep logs. They net lots of people at the same IP and, uh, and, and things like that. So it is, the idea is, is uh, even if they get subpoenaed, right, they, have no, they have no information to give. So, and, and I've used it and they have, they, it works very well. So and again, it's similar to the, the Tor network. You're, you're going to lose some of your anonymous anonymity and privacy if you're using clients that share a lot of information about who you are and where you are, whether that be through an authenticated account or you're passing location data over that network. Right. You know, all, all bets are right. off after right. that. But between there and the endpoint, you at least have a secure tunnel between the two. Right, and supposedly it can't be looked at by the NSA. And it all will also help you against, uh, say, um, Comcast or whoever ISPs. There's they call it the six strikes rule, where they're essentially sharing, giving uh, recording industry and the music industry kind of access to to information that maybe they shouldn't be giving access to, and they they can slow down your internet connection or whatever if they. They determine that you might potentially, possibly be doing something that yeah. they don't want you to do. Right, and if you can't trust your local network too, uh, there might be uh, cases where somebody's monitoring traffic on the local network or on the switch or something like that. You want to avoid those issues. You could also use it for that as well. Or if you have a lack of trust in your infrastructure, if you believe your organization's been hacked and you still need to connect securely to whatever service and you're not sure that your communications between here and there are actually going to be private. This would be another way to do that. Yes. And uh, the next thing, uh, I think this, to me, this is related to cloud services. Yeah. Dropbox and uh, SkyDrive and Box.com and, and the plethora of services that are out there. Yeah. Don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and, and there's there's these services while you do they're encrypted from your your uh, endpoint to uh, them they store the data unencrypted or at least they have the ability to unencrypt it 
on their end. Um, and yes. it's also sort of encrypted on your computer itself. Right. So, most of these companies have stated they have policies against individual employees accessing per, uh, customer data directly unless there's a, an issue that they have to resolve. But that's still a possibility, right? So we want to protect our files that are stored there, um, not just the connection between our local system and the server, which oh, is Google Drive. And Google is supposedly in with the NSA on the whole. Yes. So. <laughs> but regardless of whether they are or not, it's best to encrypt your files locally so that the bits that you're syncing with the remote service, uh, they can't actually see them at the other side. So one of the ways we've talked about in the past of doing that is using a tool called TrueCrypt. TrueCrypt's nice because it works on Linux, Windows, and Mac. It allows you to create an encrypted blob, which is basically a file system. You put files into that, and then when you mount or unmount or open and close that TrueCrypt volume, then those bits are then synced up with, say, Dropbox or Fox.net. Those are nice. Um, another way to do it if you're on a Mac is to use the encrypted uh, disk image. And that works pretty well for that. In fact, it might work a little better than, than TrueCrypt does, because TrueCrypt gives you one very large uh, file, which could be you know, whatever you set the volume size to be. And on the Mac, it, uh, it does something similar, but it's implemented by using uh, segments of files. So if you go and you copy a file in, only certain segments of that file system, those individual files would be uh, copied up. Uh, it's, uh, when you save or when you unmount the encrypted volume. On a previous uh, podcast, I mentioned Voxcryptor. Yeah. Um, I, I use that for encrypting my uh, my uh, storage, um, and it you, it encrypts individual files uh, instead of doing one big one big uh, file like like TrueCrypt does. Now um, they've updated to a newer version and uh, but they still have the old version and they call it Voxcryptor Classic. I, I have a hard time recommending their new version because they tried to add some features like sharing files and and, and you create an account with them and, yeah. and things like that. And I, I, mean, I hesitate to, to sure. recommend that. Because yeah, they, they, they do support more services too, including Dropbox, SkyDrive, and Google Drive. Yes, yeah, the Classic cool. one did support I think most of those. Okay. They 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 may have added some more, but uh, they they tried to essentially make themselves almost a cloud service in a cloud service or something like that. Um, this whole sharing of files and stuff. I mean, in order to do that, you're going to have to share some information with them that maybe you don't want to share essentially. So um, I haven't I haven't looked at it, and they also have a, instead of a Instead of a flat fee to buy the software, you have to pay them on a, a monthly or yearly basis for the software. Um, so they must be providing some, I think they're providing potentially storage and stuff as well. So it's, I haven't, I haven't looked at it. It doesn't I, appear to. It looks like it mostly just provides some additional uh, management control. Yeah, I like the classic version. I thought sure. it worked really well. Um, in in order to get file name encryption, you have to pay them for the software. Well, but keeps the company in business. And yeah, yeah. It's right, software. For right. I mean, they, they. I think they determined that their business model was unsustainable. Yeah, probably. People would buy the software, and, and it's all the money they'd ever get. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, 
But I, I like their classic version. I can't say anything about their current version except that it costs more, I guess, in the long run. <laughs> but depends on your security needs. Yeah, I, I haven't used their new version. I use their old version, and it works very well. So the next one we wanted to talk a little bit about was BitTorrent Sync, and I'll I'll let Preston kind of cover that one because I'm not a current. Yes, user that's one that I've also used, and it, it's in beta at the moment. Um, you can also get an alpha release, which has a lot more robust features, like a mobile version. Um, but unlike a cloud service, it's, it uses peer-to-peer, -peer, um, so you essentially pull yourself off the cloud, um, and you can connect multiple. Um, computers to uh, your BitTorrent repository using a key uh, that is generated when you decide to share a folder. Um, and you can either share uh, a uh, full access key, which essentially would allow more syncing uh, between the devices if one file changes on one device, it would update it on the other device and vice versa. Or you can share a read-only key, which would allow someone to only, you know, sync from the, the Computer and not sync back, so it's a one. It would be a one-way, a one-way sharing, um, and this essentially keeps keeps your files on machines that you want them to be on, and they will never be on some third party. So it essentially pulls you off of a th third party, and they no longer have your files, and all the data is encrypted. Um, I've heard concerns from people about, well, you know, if somebody guesses my secret key then they can get my files, which is true. But the secret key is is so long, I, I don't know exactly how long it is, but I've heard there's less atoms in the universe than there are possible combinations for the key that the probability of somebody guessing it is statistically impossible. So um, I think they, they, that's one, one thing that they, that people have been concerned about, but it's not really a statistical probability of, of occurring. So I've used it. I'm very happy with it, and uh, I'm as as it comes out, I'm probably going to to rid myself of most of my cloud services and start using it instead. So, so stay tuned for more. Yeah, stay tuned for more. I, I probably will talk about it more um, as it gets closer to actual release. Now, it is not open source software, but they've talked about the possibility of open sourcing it when they're done. So um, we don't know. The protocol is, is, is open, um, so you can, or will be open, I think. Um, they're still working on it. The protocol is still in a state of flux. Each version, they've changed the protocol a little bit because they wanted to allow mobile devices. They wanted to allow uh, some sort of, uh, if you delete a file on one system, it gets moved to a trash folder instead of getting completely getting deleted from the computer. And they recently added versioning so that if the file changes, then it doesn't get completely erased. Also, kind of to keep bad things from happening. Now, I will say I accidentally deleted all of my files once, but it was my fault. So it was in, a, in a, it was me using Box Scripter along with BitTorrent, oh, and I and I messed something up, and and Box Scripter didn't do what I wanted it to do, and, and BitTorrent Sync said, "Hey, look, all these files have been deleted." And <laughs> so 
So that's, I'll, I'll keep you updated on uh, BitTorrent Sync because I've been using it quite a bit. Okay. The last little thing we wanted to talk about is off-the-record messaging, and, and that's really a protocol for instant messaging that provides perfect forward secrecy and does key exchange. And the advantage is that if it's built into your instant message clients, then you can have uh, communication between two people be private. And uh, that even though you're using public channels like uh, Google Talk or uh, one of the instant messaging networks, your client is still encrypting communications with the other party, not anybody in between. The reason this comes up is some, some have questioned whether uh, Apple FaceTime, for example, is actually private. Uh, Apple says it is, uh, and when people make requests to Apple to get access to FaceTime information, they say, well, we don't have any. So, uh, but off the record messaging, which is a cryptographic protocol for instant messaging, uh, does provide that guarantee. And there are clients that implement this. Now, let's not confuse Google Chat, which does have something they call off-the-record messaging. It, it's not the same thing. What they do is they don't store the details of the, of the, of the chat session you had. But it's still occurring over, uh, well, their encrypted channel between you and Google, yes. They supposedly don't store the details. Yeah, they supposedly they don't, don't store it within your profile. Right. And so you can't access it later, um, and so it can't be searched in theory. But OTR um, does it endpoint to endpoint. So uh, one good example of that is a, a tool on on Android um, called Jibberbot, and Jibberbot uses OTR messaging. In fact, we connected up earlier, and if I pull up Jibberbot and when I wanted to chat with uh, Preston, we would do it over the Google network using Google Chat, using our Google accounts. And, and then uh, Preston was able to pull up the chat record uh, on the web, and you would see encrypted communications going over the channel. But he and I saw clear text messaging because our clients were handling that part of it. So that's kind of cool. The other part is that there are a lot of clients that support OTR messaging. Even though you're using these public networks, there's still a lot of clients available to you. Um, so ADM on the Mac is one that I use, and that works well. Uh, CryptoCat, which we thought about spending a little time on, but basically that's a web app. Basically, it does the same thing. Uh, there's, uh, I'm trying to think, what's, the, what's on the Windows side that can do this? Oh, well, you can do it via plugin. I should have mentioned that. So Pigeon, which is a fairly popular open source uh, messaging manager, um, has a plugin for OTR messaging, and um, the Trillion is another one. I don't know if you use that on Windows, which provides OTR messaging as well. And there's a variety of others, and it's so it's plug-in capability that allows your your chats to be private. And one thing you can do is when the chats are first started, there's a key exchange that occurs. Um, and then you can verify the fingerprint of the key. And so Press and I were able to sit here and verify each other's key and then click on the button and said, yep, we verified it. You can also, in Jibberbot, for example, send a question to the person on the other end, and if they provide you with the correct answer, then you can also do some limited verification that way. So, so there's a variety of OTR clients out there for instant messaging, which is very nice. Um, 
and there's also discussion about whether um, you know using OTR messages might be better than using PGP for communications. PGP is very difficult if you're not used to how that works, and being able to um, figure out how to use PGP correctly is difficult. There's a great classic paper on why Johnny can encrypt or why I've forgotten the title of it, but it was very interesting because they took some people with no knowledge of PGP and tried to give them enough to use it and they made mistakes. Well, the other option is encrypting email. Which, well, yeah. Which is, which is, a, which is an If option. you're using S-MIME, it's a little right. more because it's integrated, yeah, it's but PGP is right. not integrated in so, Unless you're paying for the commercial but stuff. But the encrypted email is encrypted. It's only a view of the parties involved. It's I, my, my claim is that encrypted email, and this is a political discussion probably more <laughs> encrypted email is misunderstood by more people than it's understood, and they do it wrong yeah. frequently. Yeah. Unless it's tightly well, integrated. It's difficult. It's difficult. It's, it's very not difficult easy. Because you need, you, both parties need, there's no real public, easy, easy way of sharing keys, sharing public keys and things like that. So the, the key server stuff. Yeah, it's, 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 people don't understand it's that. Involved, yeah. so. I'm not saying this isn't any easier, but it's it, you can do less with it. So it works a little more simply. Yeah. <laughs> I think the value in, in encrypted email honestly is more of a signing than than actual Yeah, I think email. yeah, I think you're right. Signing is definitely more valuable. So anyways. So that's kind of a quick tour through a bunch of tools. There's, there's a ton more we could talk about, but we want to just cover some basics today. Yeah, so we covered chat, cloud, uh, web browsing, anonymous networks, and anonymous, uh, anonymous things, and uh, cloud storage. So hopefully that's all. Now, using any of these will get the NSA. We'll make the NSA yeah, they more might be more interested in you, so you know, you might be aware of that. But as long as you use a, a one of the tools that we mentioned, then hopefully things will, they won't be able to look at your traffic. But we don't know what their capabilities are, I suppose. That's true, we don't. <laughs> Transparency so, would be great, just, just saying. So um, I don't know how, they may have the world's best supercomputer they can crack at some pretty significant size encryption, but we don't have that. We're, we're well, pretty sure they don't. Well, when the NSA starts offering uh, file storage services similar to uh, Dropbox, <laughs> SkyDrive, because that's what their Utah data centers for, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. My conspiracy hat on things. <laughs> yeah, 300 gigs of data and all that. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. But uh, I think that's pretty much a good summary of the tools uh, that we can go into in this short amount of time that we have. I mean, I'm sure, no, there's could, lots more. I'm sure we could do this for weeks on end. We probably we could. could. We could probably talk about Tor for a whole, whole We probably could talk about that one quite. Five episodes, probably. At least. <laughs> and then there's new stuff like Silent Circle from Bill Zimmerman, creator of PGP. Yeah. And I heard there was some sort of peer-to-peer -peer social networking system as well. So. Or maybe that was just a security researcher saying, hey, there could be. I don't remember. Well, there's a lot <laughs> out there, nonetheless. Yeah, there's a lot out there. So these are, this is, we're just scraping the surface. And that's right. Things available and stuff that we've used. I think that's another thing is we've used most of the tools and not all the tools. One of them has that we've talked about. So anyway, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up. I'm Preston Wiley. Thanks to Keith Watson. Have a safe and secure day.